You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week we come to you to bring you the information regarding health care that doctors discuss between themselves in doctors' lounges all across the country. We let you into those private conversations to prepare you to advocate for yourself so that you can fight for your health care freedom because no one can make health care decisions for you and your family better than you can. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only health care think tank in the United States that is run by actively practicing physicians. Um, The uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation stands for the doctor-patient relationship and for health care freedom for every American. So please go to our website, d4pcfoundation.org, docs4patientcarefoundation.org, and read what we've written there. The site is very current. New information gets up there. Um, every week, educate yourself, see what's happening in healthcare, and um, we need your help. Contribute to uh, the foundation and uh, allow us to continue to put on shows like this and do the work that we're doing around the country. We think we're doing great stuff. The um, uh, today is a, a very big day, and we'll talk about uh, uh, the healthcare bill that is uh, getting reintroduced for the third time today. Hopefully the third time is a charm. Um, And we're going to talk a lot about that today and other things. And I can't think of anyone who I'd rather have this conversation with today and discuss it than our our, uh, guest today, who is a friend of mine, Foster Freeze. And before I bring Foster into the doctor's lounge, please uh, let me have a moment to just give him a a brief introduction. Um, Foster is an American success story. His bio is on his website. I would encourage everybody to go to that website, which is Foster Freeze. That's F-R-I-E-S-S dot com. And read his story. Read the things that he's doing because he's doing incredible stuff that uh, I think that every everybody should read about and get behind. Um, in a nutshell, um, Foster's a farm boy. He's the first in his uh, uh, family to go to college. He's a badger at the University of Wisconsin where he met the love of his life and life partner, Lynn, who uh, has uh, worked with him on his philanthropy um, for many years. He's served the country as an Army intelligence officer, and he's built one of the most successful mutual funds in American history. And then, if that wasn't enough, he's devoted his life giving back as a man of deep Christian faith and conviction. And he's a generous philanthropist, a respected thought leader, who is listened to by some of the most powerful people in the country. And so with that as an introduction, I'd like to uh, welcome you into the physician's lounge, the doctor's lounge, Foster. Well, Hal, I really am grateful for that introduction. You can keep it going because I crave, <laughs> I crave the affirmation. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's really you know you're you're a very um, impressive uh, man. You've done great things, and and um, you know I think that um, healthcare is a is a great example of some of the uh, um, uh, energy that you've devoted to the causes that you've you've uh, taken on. So you know you you have a tr- uh, so many interests and uh, so much that motivates and drives you and that you're passionate about. Um, 
why did you get interested in healthcare? Well, uh, I started probably before Romney was the nominee, and it was so discouraging because I, I felt Republicans had kind of the message of doctor-patient relationships and less bureaucracy, and it was so frustrating because there were 10 or 12 different plans. And I said, if we have 10 or 12 plans, we don't have a plan. And a lot of the people I talked to said, well, we do have a plan. I said, what is it? It's block granting Medicaid to the states. I said, well, let's go out on the sidewalk and test that and see how excited people get <laughs> about it. And it was disturbing to go into a, a senator's office and ask if what he knew about the House plan. And he said, what is it? And, and so in talking with, with the politicians, they, they operate in silos. Uh, the, the House and the Senate hardly ever talks to each other uh, until the bill is passed in the House and then it goes to the Senate, and then they'll, the Senate go up. So I, I think the political process that we're, that we're struggling with is very frustrating. One of the leaders I asked at the inaugural when I saw him, when will I as a citizen see what the health bill looks like? He said three days before we introduce it. So one of the things I'm trying to achieve is is do a copy of what Chris Christie did when he took pension reform to the people. He went to 80 town halls and was able to convert uh, defined contributions uh, to defined contributions. So we, we need to be engaged as uh, citizens, and I think that's about ready to happen. You know, you actually, and you've written two articles recently that have appeared in the Washington Times, and um, what you're saying right here, you've touched on that in one of them. There were, by the way, both excellent articles, and, and I agree with um, everything that you've written in these articles. These are points that we've, we've uh, brought up time and time again. One of the, the uh, issues in there is what you've just touched on, which is that um, th- there are special interests in health care, but the patients are a special interest group and nobody's listening to them, right? Exactly. Uh, At the table, you have the insurance companies, the drug companies, and the hospital companies. And we as patients are kind of sitting at your rooms listening to what's going along with our doctors sitting next to us. And, you know, I've I've kind of had this vision and and dream. I'm hoping someone would start something called uh, Patients United. Uh, and then get everybody in, in, involved so that we can have a, a, a seat at that table. Uh, if you look at all the patient groups, the people, heart group, lung group, cancer group, basically they go to Washington to lab uh, lobby for money for research. But I don't think they're engaged in how do we create a system that gets back to in, uh, health insurance. In the United States, we don't have health insurance. We have prepaid health care. Yes. Well, think what how uh, our car insurance would cost if we had to be reimbursed uh, for tire replacements, uh, tune-ups, and gas refills. And it's a little bit as if uh, the, the government tells us, you're buying a $60,000 car and you're happy with it, but now we're going to require you to have uh, uh, gold bumpers, which cost 200000 Well, sort of that's what's happening with health care. We have all these benefits that have been attached to it, but it's gotten to the point where it's unaffordable for a lot of people. I've... Uh, the pilot of one of my planes, the King Air that we have, had a $500 deductible, $3,600 premium, total of $4,100. He gets a letter in the mail, the two combined, up to $25,000. Mm. So it, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think we have to look at health care as far as a political standpoint from three groups. First, uh, as a Christian nation, we must first take care of, of the really sick and the poor. 
and then we can then we immediately can start working on the rest of us who who have jobs and have incomes. But to, it, it's so distressing to see how Washington thinks they have the only answers. As you know, part of the sticking point in this recent bill is to give states more authority. And so they ha- they come up with a waiver. So you have to re- request the waiver. I met with the two women in Oklahoma who are probably the most expert on this waiver process and most advanced in getting a waiver. And it's so laborious and so time-consuming. What I would like to see instead is more of a trust of what the people in states can do. And I would love uh, President Trump to write a check out of the federal treasury to each of the governors and let them run with it. I've talked to a Democratic governor in uh, Delaware, uh, uh, John Carney, and he, he alerted me to the fact that not only do you get like $7,000 per Medicaid patient, you get $33,000 per each disabled person and thirteen or 14000 some number of teens, for, for elderly. Now, if the states could have that money, Matt Bevan, the really uh, impressive young governor from Kentucky, said, if I could get my hands on that money, he said, I could do wonders. And I, I believe we have to trust that the states can do it. And a lot of politicians as well, they, they might let someone uh, with cancer not get covered. And I, I think that's a, a really a disgusting comment to make about the people in each of our states. Scare tactics, isn't it? They're they're trying. There's there's a uh, there are two I think competing thought processes with regard to healthcare. There's one side that would like the government to pay for everything and to and to run healthcare. Then there's the other extreme where there are people who don't want any government involved and. This this real solution is somewhere in the middle, isn't it? The we've we've um, we've we've gotten and you 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 point this out. This is one of your um, pet projects, your core projects. Return to civility. We've we've lost the ability to talk to each other. The two extremes are are not the only answer. The answer is probably someplace in the middle. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, you're absolutely absolutely right. I. At the White House Correspondents' Dinner, I was sitting next to uh, Steny Hoyer, who you know is sometimes considered a rival to uh, Nancy Pelosi for the Speaker spot. And he was, he's one of the kindest, nicest, most jovial, jovial fellows, which I think if his spirit were more reflected, we could get a lot more civility back into our system. And uh, he, he makes the point that sometimes government... Uh, can do some of these things, but I think he's also willing to realize this has limitations. When you think about it, how people talk about Medicaid expansion, they talk about single payer and public option. All those are euphemisms and code words for government takeover of our whole system. And so what does our current government uh, activities look like? You have the accessibility reflected in the Arizona uh, Veterans Administration, which has been a disaster, well publicized. And everybody knows in the military, you don't get a lot of choice. And the third thing the government runs is the Indian health care system. And you see very few jets coming in from Saudi Arabia for heart transplants there. So I think it's so important that we keep as much private as possible, because then when you put it in the government system, you're competing suddenly for, for roads, for security, for education, and it becomes a budget item. I, I read about six, eight months ago, Alberta decides you're going to cut back on the number of MRIs or maybe even the number of surgeries. And the national health system in England, I'm told, is having a financial crisis. So I believe the more we can 
keep the system private, but as you mentioned, that one of the concepts I tried to propose is is for the, the very sick people should be allowed to join an association with which uh, university alumni group. And then everybody pays a certain uh, premium, but they might tack on 50 or $100 to put into a special pot in that association for those people who are really struggling with chemo or dialysis or very expensive things. And then the person... Uh, and the left really likes this idea. I'm not sure my conservative funds like it. <laughs> uh, but we could then uh, means test the, the premium. If I'm really, really sick and I'm a wealthy guy, I should not be subsidized by the average wage earner. And, and I should be willing to pay a larger premium for the coverage and treatment I get. And then if, if that gets exhausted, here's where the state comes in. By, by providing a safety net that then takes care of the additional expenses. And the politicians want to call it high-risk pools, and so people don't really know what maybe that, that means. Well, it's interesting. This whole conversation has been uh, boiled down, it seems, to pre-existing conditions. And I laugh at that because what is a pre-existing condition? Don't we all have pre-existing conditions? If you've ever gone to a doctor, you have a pre-existing condition. So I think that this is laughable that they're, they, these are buzzwords that I think are are used because they make great sound bites and, they, and uh, it, it uh, creates scare tactics um, for, uh, you know, the, uh, for one side to demagogue. Yeah, I think... We, we who believe in the doctor-patient freedom, I don't, I don't think we're aggressive in confronting the demagoguery. For example, uh, I was listening You know, it, can, can, I, can I hold that thought right there? We'll talk about the demagoguery when we get back yep. in the next segment. So stay with us. You're in the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You're back in the doctor's lounge. My guest today is um, is philanthropist and and uh, business uh, uh, mogul Foster Freeze, who is a uh, 
a very passionate uh, thought leader when it comes to many issues um, that uh, face our country, health care being a big one of them. And we, we left off, we were talking about the demagoguery, Foster. Well, you, you hear when the vote took place in the House of Representatives, every representative said, we cannot allow 20 million people to be thrown out in the, off their insurance and, and my constituents won't stand for it. And the, the guy who's taking the vote says, look, just vote yes or no. We don't give these lobbying speeches. Every one of the people who voted no disrespected his inclination just to vote. And so I, I asked a fellow who's been in the healthcare arena for years, I said, how is it, how does this happen where people lose their insurance? And he says, because the current bill gets rid of the penalty. And if you get rid of the penalty, people won't buy insurance. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of difference between being thrown off your insurance and deciding not to buy it. And they will find another alternative to, to cover themselves. One of the people that I hosted at a meeting uh, at the uh, at Hay-Adams uh, recently in Washington was a fellow who's executive director of these uh, Christian um, uh, sharing ministries. Yes. And I was not aware of them until just recently. The main one is MediShare, and I think that was called yes. Samaritan. And they have a, 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 a program which once the Amish got a, a waiver that they didn't have to pay the penalty, they then exploded in growth, and the three of them combined, cumulatively, over the years they've been operating, have dispensed over $1 billion of health care. Wow. And wow. Your parent, uh, it's not susceptible to any of the insurance rules. It's just if someone gets sick, it, it gets spread throughout the whole uh, people who are interested in sharing, and then they, they send in money. And I said, what happens when you have a big million-dollar hit? And he said, well, we've had some. So that is probably another possibility we could unleash to give people that choice because uh, Obama, uh, President Obama banned them and, only, and grandfathered the three of them. You know that's that's. Did he did he mention to you how many people they have in in this sharing uh, um, uh, pool? Uh, I he he didn't mention it that night, but uh, I think it's hundreds of thousands. I don't know if it's up to a million yet, but I think it's growing very very rapidly. It really is. Uh, I think people are yeah. people are looking for alternatives. You you hit the nail on the head. People will find ways. To um, to get to get uh, what they need, and and it doesn't need to be from the government. And I think that that's that's the the take home message that you've written about, and and um, and and that you uh, that that you profess when when you talk. Uh, if you look at the issue of these essential health benefits, a lot of our side wants to say, well, let's repeal them. But I don't, I don't think we use the correct language. Instead, let's give each uh, uh, patient a choice of which cover he wants. Exactly. I met with uh, Senator Enzi, who's the chairman of the health committee. He says, yeah, I'm, I like they just have a list. You want heart problems, cancer problems, falling off a ladder. So there is uh, impetus of, to a lot of people to come to the realization that we, we simply ca- cannot have the, the federal government mandating what coverage we want. There, there, and then there's the issue at the state level. You still have that problem because the states have all these additional coverages. So, as I mentioned earlier, we really have made, made the premiums so expensive because we've included prepaid health care, the gas refills, the tire replacements. And, and so if we can get people 
accustomed, again, to paying those out of their own pocket uh, for the smaller expenses, then we can really reinstitute insurance, which would be a boon to all of us. Well, insurance should be insurance instead of what you said, which is prepaid health. And what the government has done a, a really good job of is fouling up a uh, system that works better in this country than in the rest of the world. You said it before, there are very few people flying in from Saudi Arabia to Indian health, and, and that would be what would be the case if we go down the single-payer road. And, and it's through, through competition, innovation, that the these um, that American health care is what it is. And what I write about and what I like to say is, look, there's this is not a binary choice. It's not you do it the Democrat way or you do it the Republican way, the conservative way or the liberal way. What you need to have are many ways. And I view health care as a super highway. And what I would like to see, and I think that you would probably agree, I would like to see a lane opened on that healthcare superhighway that allows for innovators to create things, for people to to seek the best solutions for themselves and their families, to have government get out of the way and let let the the market fix the problems, and that petrifies all the special interests involved because they know that if that happens, that would win. And part of our, our culture has to change, too. It was so disheartening to hear uh, uh, Hillary Clinton at the World's Women's Summit in June of 2015 say, in order for us to move these reproduction rights down the field, these deeply held cultural and religious beliefs have to be changed. Well, I think to, to say we have to change the Christian belief system is is exactly the opposite. We have to reinvigorate that Christian worldview. Remember the, the hell in, uh, I think it's Matthew 25, where Jesus applauds his pals. He said, hey, you, you fed me when I was hungry, gave me a drink when I was thirsted, clothed when I was naked, visiting prison, they scratch your head and say, hey, boss, when did we do that? Mm-hmm. And, of course, he responds, you did it when the least, when you did it to the least of my brethren. And all of us in life, get a joy out of serving others. I think that's motivated doctors, even if they don't get paid in the future like they have in the past. There's, there's something within us that we, we love to serve and feel meaning out of what we contribute. And if we can restore those values, that we are our brother's keeper. One of the articles I wrote after Bernie Sanders says, health care is a right. Well, I, I morphed that into the fact it's a responsibility. Exactly. And during, yeah, during my lifetime, I mean, I remember the doctors in my life, they, they, they had it as a responsibility. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's exactly what I say when I get up and give a talk, and I say the exact same thing. It's the responsibility of, a, of an advanced society to help those who can't help themselves. But it's not... A right. It doesn't mean that the society takes care of everybody. People can take care of themselves better than a government can. But there are some people who need a hand. They need a hand. A, a, they need to be lifted up. And and that's the responsibility that we you know have to each other. And before we, well, let's digress from our health care issues because you've opened the door for this. And I think that this is very interesting. Um, people. Um, if they go to your website, fosterfreeze.com, 
um, they, you have so many different projects that are are based on your faith, based on this premise. One of which is your healthcare initiative, your international healthcare initiative. Would you share that with everyone? Well, uh, there's a group in Tulsa that uh, trains indigenous doctors in the various communities. It's uh, Good Samaritan. We, we support them, uh, Dr. John Crouch. And before Obamacare came along, you and I both knew there were people being unserved. So we funded him to take vans, and we, we bought him a great big van that they can put two uh, examining rooms and a, a little uh, you know, lab, lab in there. And so they would go to like 14 different churches, and the patients would be processed with blood pressure and stuff in the church foyer and then put into the van, and some just didn't have insulin. Some, And then some were referred to doctors who agreed to take care of major problems. So I think ha- having those kinds of things around the United States, uh, mobile medical vans that go into poor areas, uh, and also there's all these federally qualified health care clinics which serve as a very good point for delivering medicine to the lower-income people, where we could say to them, we're going to have one of those doctors become more or less your concierge doctor. And and so the, the uh, funding of those vans, uh, I think, was a solution if it could have been expanded more and we wouldn't have need to have the government come in to take care of the these, these, these patients. That's that's absolutely correct. In fact, that's that is exactly what we are uh, professing as one of our major policy issues at Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is direct primary care. You know, the direct primary care. Again, this is where the special interests um, are really trying to keep people from learning about this because it. it it uh, it is a threat to the insurance industry. It's a threat to the hospitals, but direct primary care doctors are seeing patients for forty dollars, fifty dollars, eighty dollars a month. So this they're getting eighty percent of the care that they need from these direct primary care doctors, and coupled with your mobile vans that are going into underserved communities, this really would revolutionize the uh, care of those who the talking heads say are the ones who are left out of health care. Well, remember the other night, two, three nights ago, Jimmy Kimmel gets emotional because his little baby had a heart issue. Yes. And he, he, t- he takes this as an opportunity to big a big plug for Obamacare, be, be, and he, yet he's worth millions, so he's going to get care. And the implication is that there's poor people out there who had a similar baby who wouldn't get care. And uh, d- does that really happen? No, that, no, yeah. no, it doesn't. It's that's that's so disingenuous because those are the children in Georgia where I am. Th- those children, one hundred percent of the time, get put on Medicaid. So, so they do get the care, but but even Medicaid, it's it's you know somewhat disingenuous for for our lawmakers to say, well, we should get Medicaid for everyone. Well, that's the worst of all the health care uh, plans that are out there, with outcomes that have been shown in multiple studies. The Oregon study showed that there were outcomes that were inferior 
with Medicaid patients than there were with patients who had no insurance at all. So, you know, this is, this, the, again, this is all driven, I'm, I'm afraid, by ideology, and we need people to take this back. And that's, well, we, I'm sure grateful for what you're doing, Hal, and I think we're going to make some good advances. With whatever gets asked in the next possible few days isn't what we need to wind up with because it's, it's deficient in so many ways. I hosted a dinner, uh, as I mentioned, for the fellow uh, that included the uh, Christian ministry sharing with uh, uh, Senator Round, Senator Collins, Senator uh, Mike Lee, and Cassidy, uh, the latter a doctor, of course, and th- they are very, very open to to kind of massaging this thing and, and coming up with ideas that really work for the patients. Yeah, that we give our Senate and Congress such a low, low rating, but you look at these people one by one; they're spectacular. They're very talented. They care, and uh, I just couldn't could uh, be so happy to see. The meetings that I had in Washington just the last two three days. Uh, and you know what, Mike Pence? Can I? Can I? Can we take a little break here? We're on a hard break, and I want to hear about your meetings. And we're going to talk about this the vote on the House today when we get back into the doctors' lounge. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. My guest today is Foster Freeze, and we are having a discussion about, uh, surprise, surprise, health care. We're talking about what, what can be, what's possible. And we cut you off, Foster. You were telling us about this meeting that you had with, um, with Senator uh, Bill Cassidy, uh, a gastroenterologist, and uh, a number of other uh, senators. Yes, and also while I was in Washington, D.C., I was able to uh, spend a little time with, with uh, uh, Vice President Pence and uh, Steve Bannon and also Tom Price. And the, these people are just remarkable. You know, everybody gave Donald Trump a lot of grief when he first uh, got elected and people were crying and, <laughs> and having <laughs> safe zones. And, and when, you, when you think of his very first decision was bringing on Mike Pence, who's probably the neatest human being on the planet. He, anybody would welcome him as a, as a neighbor or a relative. And, and, and then it, 
uh, McCain, I, I meeting with McCain yesterday, Senator McCain from Arizona, uh, he, he said, you know, I don't like a lot of things he says, and obviously he has been very critical of a lot of uh, Donald Trump's comments, but he did say he deserves credit for putting together probably one of the greatest cabinets in the history of the presidency. And you look at the just Tillerson and, and Scott Pruitt, and these are giants of men who accomplished great things. Uh, I, I met one fellow who gave up 90% of his income to come serve, uh, to, to, to serve the country. And I, I just think we should be so grateful for the kind of people that he's putting in place that will move our country uh, down the road. And I don't know if you heard about the rumor on General Mattis, Hal. They, they, they said he has a, a, a bear, a black bear rug in his den, and there's some, ru- there's some rumor that's really a live bear that's just afraid to get up. <laughs> I, I think I heard that rumor. <laughs> you know, um, you mentioned um, uh, Vice President Pence, who I agree with you is just an amazing person. Did, did, when you talked with him, did he, uh, did he boast about the health care plan that he, uh, well, that actually Mitch Daniels um, uh, was the one who, uh, who really got it started, but uh, Mike Pence um, uh, pushed it across the finish line, and that's the Healthy Indiana plan. Did he get a chance to talk to you about that? Yeah, well, we, we were kind of discussing some other things. That, that specific plan didn't come up, but I, I do know that, most people you talk around the country point to that as as one of the real uh, uh, the premier examples of what healthcare might look like. Some of the features they take out of that. Uh, I, I saw Mitch Daniels uh, a couple months back uh, in New York. Uh, we, we we were we were four of us that were honored. And uh, when I got up to uh, give, give my acceptance speech, I was the fourth one, and I said, you know, I look at this unbelievable Metropolitan Club, the beautiful environment of the room, and all these very uh, impressive people. I said to Lynn, as I straightened my tie to come down, he said, I said, honey, did you ever believe, did you ever believe coming out of the Army with $800 a plate in your wildest <laughs> dreams we would be in this setting? And she said, honey, you're not in my wildest dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bum. <laughs> you know, I know that everything that uh, you write about in on your website includes Lynn. How important um, a partner has she been in in the work that you've done? Oh hell! When she got a hold of me, I was a mess. I, I, that's why I have a lot of mentoring uh, ministries that I support. When I believe the difference between a kid who makes it and one who doesn't is simply one caring adult. And when I look how Lynn has shaped my my life and my attitude and and kind of honed me, uh, I'm, I'm glad I uh, got married to such a spectacular woman. She's now, by the way, chairman of the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City, which is one of the most prominent museums, uh, certainly in the West, if not in the country. Oh, wow. And so uh, as she's giving her gavel, she gives the outgoing uh, chairman a little gift and a, and a plaque and I'd like to introduce my husband. I'm standing on the side of the wall, and all these 55 oil and gas guys swivel their chairs around. I said, I know you're struggling. How do you refer to me as the husband of the chairman <laughs> of the board? And Lynn and I have talked it over, and it works just fine if you use your excellence. <laughs> but uh, I like that one. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to get to this museum. Oklahoma City has two of my favorite uh, 
things there. One of my, my ex uh, roommate from med school and uh, and uh, residency who practices there, and then my favorite place for free market healthcare, which is the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, which is oh no. Also, when you get to San, well, you get back to San Antonio. I hope you've been visiting the Buckhorn and tell all your friends to do it. I, I am just blown away with all the things they have in there. And on the healthcare front too, I want to uh, share with you, uh, Hal, that well, a friend of a friend of mine works uh, a friend of mine works in the uh, a furniture factory in Baltimore. And the other day, he fell into the upholstery machine. And I just got a text from this morning. He's he's fully recovered. <laughs> you know, you should do stand up. <laughs> 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 you know, one of the things that I that that really impressed me is um, the on your website going through there the the stories that you tell, and I think that as conservatives. That's one of the areas where we really fall down compared to the left. We don't tell stories, and we we really t- we present facts, and we're we're uh, you know thinking instead of feeling. And I think that um, some of the some of the stories that you have on your website, the story of uh, the the uh, the boy uh, Jacob, who on your website. Uh, you know, this there's there's just you know uh, opportunities for really us to to give a conservative message and tell a story, and and it would mean a whole lot more than just presenting facts. Well, also, I really made I'm so grateful to the receptivity of all the folks in Washington who are accepting the idea that we we all or they all need a stadium speech. What's a stadium speech? It's when you're addressing. 70,000 fans, hypothetically, and at halftime, the bands agreed not to play. So you have the microphone to articulate your ideas about health care to see if you get a cheer, a boo, or a yawn. So so I said, include my mom as one of those 70,000 fans who dropped out of school in eighth grade to pick cotton to save her family farm. And she's not going to understand block granting uh, Medicaid to the states. She's not going to understand uh, repealing MACRA. And and so if we can put our language, rather than talking about clean CRs and high-risk pools and risk corridors, I think more and more we're we're sensing that these fellows are open to the idea of talking to the American people and not leaving them out of the equation. I think... In fact, we, with the way the bill was introduced originally, they didn't even vet it with some of the groups like Heritage Foundation, Club for Growth, Freedom Caucus, who were uh, opposed to it, instead of getting them on board ahead of time. And now the same thing is going to go over to the Senate without really having pre... <laughs> to me, I, I would think they would have gone ahead of, ahead of the game and checked it out with the Senate beforehand. So what do you think is going to happen in Washington today? Uh, it's it's hard to tell. It's very nip and tuck because I guess Fred Upton, who had pulled out of supporting it, uh, the president had a little visit with him heart to heart, and I guess he's back on board. But getting back to this whole idea, what brought the uh, Freedom Caucus people on board is partly is the fact that states can opt out. But th- it's so laborious to be able to opt out of it that it would just be better if we could pass a bill that says, okay, we're going to send a check from uh, from the federal treasury to the, to the uh, governors, Matt Bevan, the 
Um, he, he's very excited about if he could get his hands on that $7,000 per Medicaid patient, the kind of improved services he could provide. The fellow runs the hospital in Jackson Hole, came out of the Hospital Corp of American organization, took a nice pay cut to get a lifestyle change to Jackson. And, and he said if, if that money could come to them, they could take a lot of regulations out of the federally qualified health care centers so that they could increase the wages of the doctor running that place and secondly would have money to di- to divert or to the rural clinics who don't get any federal funding all these smaller towns so the more we can get the, the money shoved down back to where it came from uh, rather than having a cycle through uh, Washington DC I mean that's that's the mantra that we all sing isn't it it is and if they gave me that money I could run this whole Medicaid system and make a, a very nice profit that I can return to shareholders I could get direct <laughs> primary care doctors I could get surgery centers of Oklahoma up and running all over the country and and get hospitals who will do unit pricing for for um, for certain medical problems, and and instead of running up the bill five to ten times what the actual costs are, and that's well, does, does your group Hal endorse the idea of price transparency? Absolutely. And and second, the whole notion that everybody pays the same price. I was stunned when I went in to buy some uh, diabetic test strips, and I, I'm told there's three different prices. One, if you're a, a Veterans Administration uh, purchaser. Another, if you're a, a, a Blue Cross Blue Shield. And the third, you come off the street. W- wonder how hard it would be to just say everybody gets the same price. But you know who get, pays the most? The one who's off the street paying cash out of pocket because I know the special interests have negotiated reduced pricing for for their their constituencies. Yeah, and then I think the explanation of benefits, some people are horrified when they see the amounts, but, okay, I just got a bill for 18000 but the insurance, account, insurance companies pay like 3500 right? They do, and, you know, this whole, you know, um, uh, opacity in, in the in uh in healthcare pricing is is really you know the the big problem you know you've you touched on this in one of your articles it's something that i've written about a lot and it's the elephant in the room which is the cost of care um we're not going to get insurance costs down meaningfully if the cost of the care itself is just so outrageous and and unrealistic that that the insurance which is prepaid health as you said is is picking that up? Yep. Well, I I, I think you've hit the nail uh, right right on the head for sure. And I think we should just all work hard and and whatever bill comes out of Washington in the next few days, that's not the end of the story. We have to continue to move that ball down the field to to get where where we want to uh, in terms of pricing. It's a little bit. I think the way I like to communicate that to someone. If you had a single a hospital in a small town in South Dakota that only had one magnetic resonance imaging machine, and they had a price for it. If you had ten insurance companies competing as to what they're going to charge to re, re, what they're going to reimburse, or and what the premium would be, it's going to be very minimal. But the way the price would come down, or that premium, would is if you found a a cheaper uh, MRI in Minneapolis. Yes, and it's and another way is describing it if. If you have a million-dollar house and you want to insure it for fire, 20 insurance companies are going to give you just a few dollars one way or the other. And to reduce the premium, you buy a $500,000 house. 
<laughs> this is true. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, what you what you have to uh, understand is that the uh, the competition, which is which is not in healthcare, um, you've you've uh, pointed that out as well. Um, if you if you uh, have artificial um, barriers that are preventing competition, right now the biggest problems are the overregulation of the medical. Uh, system by do- by the government on doctors, and it's also the uh, the the hospitals which have become the power brokers in healthcare. And we're g- we're going to finish up with our show in the next segment. We're going to just touch on a couple more things with Foster, our guest Foster Free. So please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You're back in the Doctor's Lounge as we wrap up the show in our final segment with my guest, Foster Freeze. Check out his website, Foster Freeze. That's F-R-I-E-S-S dot com. And uh, read about the good work and uh, the projects that he is uh, uh, supporting and uh, uh, I think that you'll be very impressed as uh, I have been. So, um, Foster, the the um, thing that really we were talking about the uh, overregulation of of uh, physicians, which I think is a big problem, and it's it's stifling competition. There's no way that uh, doctors are are able to uh, fight back against the special interests, the hospitals being the biggest and most powerful of those interests. And uh, and care is being driven into the most expensive part in the health care uh, delivery system. Um, you know, President Trump, President Trump has listened to all of the groups about um, deregulation. He's talked to miners. He's talked to people in the oil and gas industry. He's talked to you know the the all the people who are in the health in financial services with Dodd Frank. He had healthcare executives from the insurance industry instead of having doctors in the White House. You know that this is this is something that just that just baffles me. If we want to fix healthcare, why are why are we not talking to the the people who really understand what's going on? 
Well, it, it gets back to what we said earlier in the conversation. The, the, the hospitals, the drug companies, and the insurance companies are sitting at the table, and you and I are off on the sidelines watching, and I think we should be motivated to try to change that so we can coalesce into a powerful group. The, 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 the hospitals, for example, are, are gobbling up all these orthopedic guys, all the cardiac guys, and so suddenly we're going to have one-stop shopping. And the opportunity to have choice uh, among providers is going to be very, very difficult. I heard a story of a one one man uh, cardiac uh, doc, and he charges two hundred dollars like in his office for electrocardiogram. He he sells out to the hospital. They have lunch and sign the paper that afternoon. The hospital is allowed to attach a seven hundred dollar facility fee. So now you've gone from two hundred dollars to nine hundred dollars, and no longer do you have choice as to where you get your medical care it's all going to have to come from doctors that are that are controlled by the hospitals which i don't think is in a patient's best interest gets worse than that it's not even just the facility fee they there's such a perverse reimbursement um schedule for services so you talked about your diabetic strips costing different amounts of money. Imagine going into getting a prostate biopsy in a urologist's office, and then that urologist is um, sells his his practice to the hospital, stays in the same place, same doctor, same procedure a year later, and it's ten times more. And the reason why is because not only can the hospitals charge 10 times more, but they're actually getting reimbursed more than the physician gets reimbursed for the same thing in their office. So the you talked about price transparency. The hospitals will fight this tooth and nail. And, um, and what, what I think needs to happen, I agree with you about the, the um, uh, patients getting together, but I think there's an even more powerful group than patients, believe it or not, that people will that people in Washington will listen to, and I think that's the business community, mm-hmm. because businesses are getting are getting killed by their insurance costs, their healthcare costs. I, I I've talked to so many businessmen, and you know the, there's such a, a movement right now to get insurance out of business that. Employers should not be providing health care for their employees. Well, a lot of employers want to provide health care for their employees, and they should be able to do so, but it shouldn't bankrupt them. And Well, do you remember how it all started? Well, a couple of ways, but uh, 1971, August 15th, Richard Nixon goes on the radio and issues an executive order, which freezes wages and prices, and the Internal Revenue Service uh, then allowed companies... Uh, to attract uh, uh, workers by giving them health benefits and retirement benefits. So one of the things we should try to achieve is, is to allow patients, all of us as citizens, to own our own policy as one option. So it travels with us just yes. like our homeowners and our car insurance. We don't renegotiate those every time we change jobs. And so the, the combining that with joining an association such as your university alumni group, the National Rifle Association, Rotary Club, all these groups could be uh, facilitating the purchasing of insurance, uh, which, which would allow uh, a lot of nice things to happen. And I'm just hoping that people could control their own 
policy and, and just travel with them through their whole life, which doesn't lock you into some jobs that are sort of un, unrewarding because you don't know what the next job's uh, health care is going to be. Well, you're, you're so right about that. And, and that's the individual market which we're really looking at. And I'm and one of the things that that I've spent a lot of time recently looking at is the is the employer uh, space, and and I agree that people who get their insurance from their employer should be able to retain that and travel with it. In fact, what I'd like to see, I'd like to see us tr- um, uh, treat in healthcare insurance like a life insurance policy, where if you buy your your healthcare insurance as a young person and you can and you keep continuous coverage that stays with you for your lifetime and if you need to use it for medical for a medical problem it pays and and so you don't lose it but you get to use it and if you come into that insurance later on in life like life insurance like if you bought life insurance as a as a 50 year old versus a 20 year old your life insurance policy costs more well the same would be true with health care insurance if you come into it later in life you know you'll have to pay more than if you had it as a 25 year old and you maintained um continuous coverage mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know that's but the only, the only problem uh, that that idea 25-year-olds are immortal. They never have accidents, and they never get sick. This this is true. They're bulletproof. This is exactly right. Well, we were all that way at one point, and we're, you know, we're... We're smarter now, and and uh, you know, and I think that it's a it would be a cultural change because people would uh, realize that they need like uh, health insurance, and that the earlier they they uh, come into the healthcare insurance market, the better it will be later on down the road. And it wouldn't cost them a lot if they bought their healthcare insurance when they were twenty five years old. It it costs it costs nothing. It w- unless of course you're buying a prepaid health insurance plan. Then, then, yeah, then yeah. it would cost you, you know, a, a lot more. And also, the possibility that I haven't thought through really carefully, but to be able to insure for specific things, like if you want to buy a policy for eye uh, eye care and dental care, you have the capacity to do that. For instance, on in vitro fertilization, maybe that could be a policy that people bought when they got married. Yes. And if all, all married couples bought it, it'd be very, very low cost. But why does it have to be? part of a policy for a 75-year-old guy. And, you know, there's probably another hundred different um, permutations that are possibilities in the health care insurance market. Under Obamacare, this is impossible because, again, it was one-size-fits-all. You had to have essential benefits that every insurance policy had to have, and that drives up the cost for everybody. And uh, what what's you mentioned this earlier, and this is very interesting. This all this didn't start with Obamacare. These these mandates actually started at the state level many many years ago because of special interests wanting their particular um, issue included in insurance policies that are sold at the state level, whether it's chiropractor or it is uh, you know uh, drug counseling or what have you. And, and so yep. that's why the states need to be in charge of this, and we need to rehabilitate uh, 
health care at the state level. And one of the things that we're doing, and, and uh, I've invited you to this and I'm hoping that you'll be able to come, is our um, meeting that we're putting on. The Doctor Patient Care Foundation is hosting a meeting in Washington, D.C. on June 16th um, at the Heritage Foundation. We're um, going to try to tackle one of the biggest problems that is um, hap- is happening in healthcare, which is one of the least known um, issues, which is the certificate of need laws, which are um, laws that make it impossible to compete against the strong hospitals. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to attend that meeting, Foster. Yeah, and, and just so your listeners, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners appreciate the way that works is is that if, if you want to start a little surgery center and, and the hospital uh, gets to decide if it's needed or not, right? Yes, it's like having an, uh, trying to open up a hamburger stand and having to get permission from McDonald's and Burger King. Yep, that's, <laughs> that, that, that couldn't <laughs> be said any better than that. That's, uh, you have the gift of imagery and storytelling how <laughs> keep up that effort well you know I, I as do you and your your website is wonderful you are a tremendous messenger and we all appreciate the devotion that you and Lynn have put into the work that you're doing and and I appreciate you being with us today foster and and uh, being generous with your time so I hope that you enjoyed yourself today in the doctor's lounge I know that uh, our listeners did as well well I'm very grateful to have the opportunity I mean Coming out of the army with eight hundred dollars accumulated to leave pay, and how blessed God has blessed me. I, I just owe this country so much, and there's very few things I wouldn't do. I I'm amazed at all these nineteen year old kids that died for us, and uh, so at, at seventy seven, I I should be able to contribute a little bit more than they did. <laughs> well, thank you again. Well, I, I mean, I, I mean, something I could never more. I, I didn't mean to say that. I I, I just should. Just contribute something that wouldn't even compare what they did, but at least uh, that's my motivation you, to do, think of those guys. You're doing great, and we, we really appreciate you being here and doing the work that you're doing, and thanks again for being with us, our, our audience in the Doctor's Lounge, and, and join us uh, in two weeks when our guest is uh, Wayne Oliver from Patients for Fair Compensation. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.